to finish up the series that we, not the whole series, the section of the series that we've been on. Uh, We're in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted, based on a book by John Ortberg. There are copies available still in the back if you want to pick those up. Um, There are reading guides that are out there. Again, just talking about the spiritual disciplines that we have been given that we can use to help access the life that's available to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus died to bring us new life. And if you put faith in Jesus, we have new life. We have it. It's ours. The reason that many times it doesn't show up in our lives is because of an area of lack, maybe in our mindset or in our physical being, that spiritual disciplines help move out of the way so that we can live it out. Uh, What we just talked about, receiving the rain, that's what we're talking about. Making sure that we use these disciplines in a way not to earn anything from God, but to position ourselves to receive what we need to receive. And so as we've talked about the discipline of celebration, the discipline of slowing and prayer and servanthood and confession, and then throughout this month, we've been talking, chapter 9 of the book deals with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the guided life that we've called. And today, I've titled the message, Supernaturally Practical. Supernaturally Practical. And as we've talked about the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit is not a discipline, but living the guided life or receiving from the Holy Spirit is a discipline. Because the Holy Spirit does not just move in our lives without us opening ourselves up to Him to move. He will come right up to the point of our free will, but He will wait for us to choose. He will not violate your free will to act on your behalf. Now, I believe people can pray for us, and so the Holy Spirit, God can offer protection for people. There have been times in my life where I've seen the protection of God that I didn't ask for or the moving of God that I didn't ask for, but I bet you somewhere there's someone that's asking on my behalf. And if nothing else, I know that Jesus is always interceding. And so I'm not trying to say that there's a formula and if you don't ask, but we have to engage or we will not receive. I mean, just showing up in in a church building is good, but you can show up in a church building and not engage and not receive. So this is part of the battle, but mentally engaging with it is another part. And we've talked about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We talked about ignorance isn't bliss. I shared my story and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've made other resources available, and we still have copies of those out in the the lobby on the table. The book Want More by Tim Enlow. The book by Tim Enlow for kids. If you have children that are listening or asking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, those books are available. And then Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove, all of those are available. Some of them are free. For you to take, some of them cost, their prices are listed on them, and I encourage you to stop by and pick those up. But uh, today, as we talk about being supernaturally practical, we're going to kind of bring to an end the conversation that we've been having on the Holy Spirit, the guided life, although the conversation is not going to come to an end. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the agent of God that is working in our lives uh, all of the time, and so we are not going to stop talking about Him Uh, because you can't ever stop talking about him. But we're going to shift our focus next week and talk about the practice of secrecy. And uh, I love what uh, we're going to start unpacking through the month of May. But I had you read about the life of Elisha. And I hope that you either have read it in preparation for today or you've been a part of the YouVersion plan with us. Um, 
I, about 10 years ago, really started to look at the life of Elisha. And I see a lot of similarities between Elisha and the life of Jesus. Um, simple things, you know, like uh, Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist being like an Elijah and Jesus being like an Elisha. Uh, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of reasons that I feel like they come together. Um, but the scope of the miracles and the life of Elisha seem to be the same types of things that we see in the life of Jesus. And the reason that I wanted you to be reading about the life of Elisha is because I believe that faith comes from hearing, from hearing the word of God. And I wanted you, I wanted all of us to come into today's service with that as the background, with these miracles and these supernatural manifestations and for the way that the Holy Spirit worked in the life of Elisha and also in the life of Jesus. We're not going to talk a lot about Elisha today. In fact, I'm going to share just three things that I kind of want to be um, the, be be some guardrails for our life as we pursue this relationship with the Holy Spirit, as we pursue these spiritual manifestations in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit. There are three things that uh, just resonate in my heart that I want to be our guides. Not the only things, but three things that I think are important. But if you have not had the opportunity to, to read through the life of Elisha, I'd encourage you this week to read through it. It wouldn't be bad to read it late. Uh, but the story of Elisha stirs up something, I think, in our hearts. And thank you for those of you that interacted on the Version plan. I, I love hearing the things that pop out in, in your life as you're reading through that as well. But we were introduced to Elisha through his calling, through uh, Elijah asking him to come and be his successor because the Lord told him to. And Elisha's response to leave everything behind, to to sacrifice his oxen and to burn his plow and to leave everything and follow Elijah. And then what happens is we, we don't hear about Elisha again until really the day he starts his ministry. Um, and it's easy for us to take 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elisha is called and 2 Kings chapter 2 where he starts his ministry. And because it's like a short time in the scripture, uh, we, we miss the fact that this is about 10 years of life. So Elisha actually stays and ministers with Elijah for 10 years. We don't hear much about Elijah in those chapters of the Bible, but he's present, he's alive, he hasn't died. But if you trace the history, it's about 8 to 12 years, somewhere in there, that Elisha works alongside of Elijah, and we don't hear anything. And that we're going to come back to that in just a second. But then he... Elijah's taken away, Elisha starts his ministry, he strikes the Jordan with the cloak, the mantle, and it, spl it splits. We see him healing the spring in Jericho by throwing salt in it. Who knew that that's how you heal a spring, just throw some salt in it. Um, we see him teaching the, the king of Israel how to win a battle by digging ditches. Um, that's a great military strategy, dig ditches, and God's going to provide water. There are so many things, don't get bogged down in the weeds. But if we don't dig the ditches, we can't receive the rain. Mm, amen. That's some good there, right there. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but let the Holy Spirit remind you of that one. He multiplied the widow's oil. He prophesied about the, the widow that couldn't have, or the widow, 
a widow who had a son. It wasn't the Virgin Mary. Uh, the old woman who couldn't have a child, he prophesied that she'd have a child. She did. The child dies. He brings the child back to life. He removes poison from the stew by adding a little bit of flour. Again, who knew? He multiplied the bread to be able to feed uh, several hundred troops. He healed Naaman of his leprosy. He caused an axe head to float by throwing a stick in the water. Uh, he blinded the Armenians who had come to kill him, and he led them to a banquet, and then he sent them home. Isn't that interesting? And then as he died, all of these miracles, we scratch our head, he dies of a disease in pain. I don't understand it. But even in the tomb, when a dead body is thrown in that tomb, quickly it hits his bones and the body resurrects. There's something about the life of Elisha. There's so many takeaways, and uh, I wanted that to be the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today because I believe the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul commands us to eagerly desire the greater gifts. I believe that we are to eagerly desire a more intimate, more powerful, more visible relationship with the Holy Spirit than we are currently experiencing. Whether that's the fruit of the Spirit, whether that's the ministry gifts of the Spirit, whether that's just practical, whatever it is, I believe we have to eagerly desire it. And I believe the only way to create that desire is reading the Word. That's where that desire comes from, to continue to read and believe that it's possible. And I wanted th that to be in our hearts. And so as we, we, we move into this, this final conversation, I have a quote for you again. I, I quizzed someone yesterday and asked where this quote came from because I've shared it so many times and they didn't remember and that's okay. But here's the quote from Martin Luther. History is like a drunk man on a horse. No sooner does he fall off on the left side, does he mount again and fall off on the right. What, when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is so true. We tend towards extremes in all things, in faith, in politics, in every area of life. Humans are bent to go to one extreme and rebound to the other extreme. We just back and forth, back and forth. And when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I hope that we find, I hate to use the word middle ground, but I hope that we find that area where the Holy Spirit moves supernaturally practical in our lives. In Acts chapter 10, there's, Peter is talking to Cornelius, and he's sharing with them the salvation. The Holy Spirit has sent him through a vision and he is preaching, and there's a verse, starting in verse 37, two verses. And he's telling them, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. Okay, setting the context. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to us to be just like Jesus, to spend our days doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil supernaturally practical. We have a lot of churches and a lot of believers that will focus on doing good and neglect the supernatural. We have a lot of believers and churches that will focus on the supernatural 
but neglect the doing good. Jesus, Elisha, except for that one moment of the bears, I still don't understand that one, married these things so well, supernatural and practical. And that's kind of what I want to unpack in these three, three guardrails, if you will. As we pursue the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives more and more, there are three things that I want us to take away from this conversation that I hope guide us in the years ahead. And here they are. Number one, there's a cost. There is a cost. Elisha had to make a choice. He had to leave his family. He had to leave his life. He had to burn his equipment. He had to, it was no turning back moment. And I'm not saying we have to leave our families or we have to burn stuff, but there has to be a clear-cut turning away from self and turning to the kingdom. I covered that last week very well, I think, with the gospel of the kingdom. There has to be a death in order to be a resurrection. There has to be a choice. And I told you that Elisha then, after he responds to that, goes through about a 10-year period of obscurity. All he's doing is serving Elijah, doing what Elijah asks him to do. And the question is, are we willing to pay the price of obscurity? Are we willing to pay the price of planting seeds for 10 years in order to see the harvest come down the road? There's a price to be paid. Jesus himself paid this price. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says, We have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. The gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit are not something given to us to, to, to boister us. We lay those things down. It's not about us. There's a cost. Instead, Jesus gave up His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even further in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Coming as a human was one thing. Living a human life without his divine privileges was another thing. Dying a criminal's death on a cross was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate price he was willing to pay for us. If we want to live like Jesus, there is a similar cost for us. He said it clearly. If you want to come after me, you have to take up your cross. If you're not willing to lay everything down, you're not worthy to be my disciple. The only way to find life is to lose yours. There is a cost. It's not just going to happen because we prayed the sinner's prayer. We have to know there's a cost. In Luke chapter 4, then Jesus, after he was baptized, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, cost, where he was tempted, cost, by the devil for 40 days, where he didn't eat for 40 days, cost. But look at this, verse 14, at the end of that 40 days and at the end of that temptation, Jesus returned to Galilee Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I thought he went in full of the Holy Spirit. But when you and I are willing to pay the price, when we're willing to know that there's a cost and we answer that call, we will live in the power of the Spirit like we did not before. Does that mean you weren't full of the Spirit before? No. 
but it means you were willing to pay the price of laying down your life, your desire, your will over and over again. It's about doing what we don't feel like doing over and over again. It's about walking against the grain of the world and the grain of self. Hebrews eleven six says that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And it's not about earning something because the, everything from God is a gift. But it's about creating an atmosphere in my life where I'm able to receive the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the transforming work of God is right now at work in our world. And the problem is, I'm not receiving enough yet. And that's not condemnation or shame. It means that if I'm willing to pay a higher price, I'm able to walk in a higher level of authority and anointing. Are you willing to pay the price? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, we would love to see the power of God break out in our world. Are we willing to pay the price? Because there's a cost. Too many of us walk around in an atmosphere of doubt, an atmosphere of disappointment, an, act of, an atmosphere of criticalness. And that's why we're not receiving what God's dishing out today. We need to create atmospheres of faith and hope and love. And it comes from being in the Word. It comes from by, by being in prayer. It comes from fasting. It comes from the disciplines of celebration and solitude. These are the things that open us up to receive the rain. It's about setting our mind, having our minds renewed. Joyce Meyer always says it this way. You will not learn to hear the Holy Spirit by sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, watching television. Let me say that again. You will not learn to hear the Holy Spirit by sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, and watching television. And don't think if it's broccoli and carrots that you're more in tune. And I'm not against watching television. I watch television. I watch sports. I watch... I don't watch Netflix. I watch other shows that, that I, I watch the CBS app. That's what I do. Uh, and that's not a slam on Netflix. But whatever your choice, it's not about not watching those. But it's about paying a price and realizing that the Holy Spirit is not going to be able to get in if my life is crowded with those entertainment choices. You want to hear Him more? Do something you haven't done before. That is good stuff. There is a cost, there's a pearl of great price that requires our pursuit. Number one, there's a cost. Number two, the journey is just as important as the destination. <laughs> oh, I don't know how to make you understand this. I have prayed all week, God help us understand it. I don't even know if I understand it. I mean, I understand the concept of it. I just don't remember it enough in my daily life. God is about journeys. Jesus could have come to this earth and been the penalty for our sin over a long weekend. He didn't have to come and live in basic obscurity for 30 years and live as a human for 30 years and then three years of ministry, and then be crucified. It didn't have to be that way. It could have been a different way, but God is a God where He understands the journey is just as important as the destination. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus returned to Nazareth, verse 51, with His parents, and He was obedient to them. 
He created them, and yet he obeyed them. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew. Jesus grew. Why didn't he just get to it? I mean, there were miracles to be done. There were people to be healed. There were people to be saved. Why didn't he? Because the journey is just as important as the destination. Hebrews 5.8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. As a human, Jesus had to learn. He had to grow. The journey was just as important. The journey has to be embraced. There are times in our lives where God will show us the destination to encourage us. <laughs> but that we assume that we're going to get there tomorrow. When they came out of, the, out of Egypt, they didn't go to the promised land first. The journey was important. He brought them to Mount Sinai so that they could encounter him so they could understand that he was with them, so that his presence would go before them. So when they got to the destination, they had the character to live in the destination, in the promised land. The journey is so important. And we are all about destinations. And it's not just about heaven. Sometimes it's about our healing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This high priest understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings that we do, and yet he did not sin. He understands the journey we are on. The question is, are we okay with the journey? Are we okay with the delays? Are we okay with our weaknesses that are still being worked out? For some of us, it's the shame and the condemnation and it's the negativity we thrust on ourselves every time we fail. For others, it's the shame and condemnation that we heap on those around us who fail. Either way, everyone is on a journey. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. It's the, the Spirit's work to make us right with God. He does it instantly at salvation, and He is in the process of sanctifying us day after day after day. It's His work. Sometimes I don't cooperate with His work. Sometimes I go my own way and I make a mess. Sometimes I choose my own way. But you know what I found? He is faithful to keep doing His work. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.6, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it's finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God's love and His work in our lives is consistent and I know that we wish we could get there tomorrow, but we trust that He is with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul says to the Lord three different times, or says to the Corinthians, I beg the Lord to take away what he calls this thorn in the flesh. And each time, the Lord said this, 
My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. We've got to be okay with the journey. This isn't an excuse to say, hey, just, you know, whatever happens. No, we press in. It, there's a cost. But the journey is just as important as the destination. I put a picture up that I've showed before to help illustrate God's will in our lives. This is our plan on the top. We think God shows us where we're going and we're just going to go there. But God's plan always looks different. And I'm not saying that God authors those things in our lives, but God is aware of the things that are going to happen because of the choices of others and because of our own choices. And that's what he, he knows that's the journey. And he's okay with it. Salvation or healing may come in a moment, boom. Or it may be a process. In your life or in the lives of others. And I think at, at times, as, as Christians, we, we, we don't embrace the journey that people are on. We're trying to seal the deal. We're trying to get them to the destination. Whether that's their salvation or their healing or their deliverance. And we, in our zeal, are, we're just, and we're not embracing the journey that God has them on. And that's number three. The number three thing that I, I want us to keep in mind is that we have to keep it relational. Keep it relational. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus came and made his dwelling among us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. I want to remind you, the Holy Spirit is not a force or a power or a miracle or a gifting. He is a person, and He is with us, always, always. He is with you on the day that you screw up royally. He is with you. He is with you when you do it well. He is with you when life is hard. He is with you when you're in the wilderness. He is with you. He led Jesus into the wilderness. Nobody likes the wilderness. Nobody likes to face hardship. But He is with us. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He lives with you now and later will be in you. He is with us. Keep it relational. Don't seek manifestations. Don't seek giftings. Don't seek experiences. Remember, He is a person, a relationship to be cultivated. Seek Him. Seek His activity in your life. Seek Him showing up on the outside of your life. I was at a track meet this week in Redfield. I loved it. Uh, I love track meets. They're crazy long, but uh, I happened to be walking by a, a conversation that was happening between a young girl and an older gentleman. I know the older gentleman was from Redfield because he had been helping with the meet. The young girl was from Aberdeen Christian. And I had, they were having a conversation long before I entered, and I heard one thing as I walked by. The young girl looked at the man and said, yeah, but the Holy Spirit helps us with that. And his reply back to her was, yeah, we just 
don't utilize the Holy Spirit enough. That attracted me. I'm like, praise God, two generations. I almost stopped and interrupted, but I didn't want to eavesdrop. Uh, So profound. The Holy Spirit is a person who is with us. In Isaiah chapter 43, God was trying to encourage his people. When you go through deep waters, guess what? I guess we're going to go through deep waters. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, guess what? Guess we're going to go through rivers of difficulty. You will not drown. Water might get up to here, but you're not going to drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And he says it again in verse 5, do not be afraid for I am with you. See, if, if we don't understand that, the miracles won't sustain us. The Israelites saw miracle day after day after day after day after day, but the fact that the presence of God was with them in a cloud and fire every single day wasn't enough for them. Why were they not able to live in the promised land and maintain it? Because they never understood that He is enough, that He is the destination, that I'd rather have the wilderness with Him, like Moses said, than the promised land without Him. I'd rather stay here in this condition with Him than to go anywhere else without Him. And so if we, Jesus said, if you, if you see someone raised from the dead, it will not convince you if you were not convinced before. Yeah, signs and wonders, miracles, I want to seek them, I want to see them. I hate watching people suffer in our lives. I especially hate watching children suffer. But He's with us. And we keep it relational, not just with Him, but with the people we're ministering to. Be careful not to see people as objects to be one or guinea pigs to help you learn how to operate in the Spirit. Keep it relational. In our zeal, we sometimes try to close a deal and we put baggage on people that I don't think we ever intended to, but it's there. Keep it relational. Jesus never lost compassion for people. He was moved with compassion. You and I have to make sure we never stop seeing the person in front of us. Over the last several years, I I mean, there's this thing called incarnational ministry. And what, what, what it's about, I know there's, there's different veins of it, but in essence, it's about entering into someone's world and understanding what it's like to be them. So I can go out of here empowered by the Spirit, and everywhere I go, I see wheelchairs, and I, I see crutches, and I, I, I see those people as guinea pigs that I can just try to activate the gift of the Spirit, and I can do it with good intentions. But before I do it, I should ask myself, what's it like to live in a wheelchair? There's something in our world where there's people first versus um, forget what the the term is, or infirmity first language. 
when we talk about the man in the, the scripture who was paralyzed, do we talk about the man who was paralyzed or do we talk about the paralyzed man, the paralytic? Sometimes we start looking at people as their infirmity and not as a person. And what happens in our zeal at times is we, we hurt people and we add baggage to them and then they can't move forward. Keep it relational. I'm not saying you should never listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and move out and step out, but remember that it's a human being that you're talking to and dealing with. And they have probably walked through seasons of disappointment and hurt, and you don't know where they are. So if you're not willing to walk with them and carry their burden, if the miracle doesn't happen, don't try to be the miracle. And that's not like a blanket statement, never do it. But we have got to make sure that we, we understand where people are when we try to minister to them. And of course, some people don't like the idea of incarnational ministry and um, even the sin of empathy I've heard about over these last few years where um, a, an Asian pastor, after the, the, the massage parlors where the, the Asian ladies were killed by a bomb, and the next Sunday, in a show of solidarity, he dressed in authentic Asian attire and was let go of his, from his church because of, he was showing the sin of empathy. I don't know what the sin of empathy is. But when we stop seeing people and we stop being, we get so hung up on language and terms and we hate Black Lives Matter and we hate this social justice thing and we hate this. Stop and see the people. See the person. Before you come up with the great way to respond or the, the thing that you need to say, see the person. Walk in their shoes for a second. Know where they're coming from. I'm not saying what they're saying is right or what they're doing is right, but there's a reason they're in the place they are. Jesus sat at a table and it looked like to the religious world around them he was approving of all of the people he sat with. He wasn't. He was just valuing them. And he healed them, and he spoke to them, and he challenged them, but he ate with them first, and he looked them in the eye, and he touched them, and he showed compassion for them. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. In Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with these people. And he, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. See, as we try to lean into the voice of the Holy Spirit, and as we try to minister to the people laying around us, let me remind us two scriptures that I want us to carry. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus went around doing good and healing. Do both. Do both. Sort of like the guys in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw 
their faith, he said to the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees had a hard time with that statement, but Jesus saw their faith. The men that were just doing good. They were doing what they could do. They were carrying them to Jesus. I don't know how this works. I don't know how we work this out. I was introduced to a book recently called We Carry Kevin. And We Carry Kevin is about a, a man that his disease keeps him in a wheelchair. And he started a nonprofit organization. And that nonprofit organization makes backpacks that people that are bound in wheelchairs can be carried in backpacks. And his friends took him on a backpack trip across Europe and they carried him in backpacks across Europe. Now, he shares his story and he shares it with grace, but they were in a, a chapel in Europe out from the rain and they were surrounded by some charismatic believers that were in there trying to get him to go into the back room where this statue was where they could pray for him to be healed. And he said, I understood their intentions and I understood, but he said, here I was, a living miracle where my friends were carrying me in a backpack across Europe and that was the miracle. Every day of his life, someone has to come to his home, a volunteer, to get him out of bed, to get him washed, to get him in his wheelchair. Every single day, they carry his burdens. They just go about doing good. And yet in that moment, all he heard was, that's not enough. You're not enough. Now, who's right, who's wrong, I don't care. I just want you to know that we have got to see the Kevins in our lives. They're not just people that we want to get out of wheelchairs. They're people every day that we have to help carry their burdens. I love the fact that years ago, when Pastor John and Heather, when Judah was born with undeveloped lungs and he passed away, Heather came to me. She said, I really feel like we need to pray for resurrection. I mean, like, really go after this. God's put it in my heart. She said, I'm not, I'm not just grieving, and this isn't just like a crazy mom. She's like, I just, there's a, a faith in me that says, if I put him in the ground, I want to know that we did everything possible. Who can say no to that? And I love that because we, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed at the funeral service one last time. And we tried to keep everything very, uh, we tried to take everyone's emotions into consideration and we just tried to handle it the best that we could. And we still put them in the ground and for months after, I would run and when I would run, I would run past his grave and I would stop and I would thank God for putting in their heart the desire to pray for resurrection because it's like, well, but he didn't get raised. Yeah, but we put seeds in the ground. And those who sow in tears <laughs> reap in joy. And I can't believe that something isn't going to happen as a result of that moment of faith. But that was their choice. I didn't go to them and say, hey, I think we need to pray for resurrection. This year at camp, we had one of our staff members that lost his glasses in the lake as we were swimming. And if you've ever been to a lake that's dark and you can't see the bottom and you look down and 
so what we did over break, there were about seven of us, and we walked the lake trying to feel for his glasses because we couldn't see. And, uh, and I joined them. I hate lakes, and I hate it was a miracle that I was even there. And at one moment, I actually picked up a stick. <laughs> I was hoping it was a stick. And from the bottom of the lake, and I threw it. And I'm like, Lord, cause them to rise to the surface just like Elisha. And they didn't. And we looked for a couple hours. We never found them. And nothing profound happened. He thanked us all for looking, and it was great. And I often wonder in times like that, like, you know, was that even worth it? Was it, I mean, it's all about the journey. I don't know why I was in the lake that day. I don't know why any of us were in the lake that day. I don't know why the glasses didn't float. I didn't know why we didn't find them. I don't know. But we just went around doing good. And at times, healing all of those who are oppressed by the devil. So when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's always more. My hope as a church is that we will be willing to pay the price, to maintain atmospheres of faith and hope and love, that we will enjoy or at least value the journey in our lives and in the lives of others, and that we, above all, will keep it relational. That's what's in my heart for us as a church. And I hope that that's what guides us in the years ahead as we become a church that follows the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so, Heavenly Father, that's my prayer as pastor here. God, that we would be a people willing to pay the price to see the Holy Spirit take over more and more of our lives. That we would be willing to lay our lives down that we would be willing to go against the grain of this world, the grain of our selfish desires, that we would pay whatever cost to see your kingdom manifest in the lives around us, to see a greater intimate connection with your spirit in our lives. That we would be a people that enjoy the journey. That we wouldn't get hung up on performance, whether our performance or the performance of others, but that we would just trust that you're working in our lives, that we would humble ourselves, that we would admit our mistakes, that we would give grace and mercy to those that fail us and let us down, that we would understand what it means that you desire mercy and not sacrifice, that we would enjoy the journey, that we would remember that you're with us, And that we would always keep it relational. That we would remember that you are the destination. That you are with us. That you are at work. And Holy Spirit, give us those same eyes of compassion for our spouses, for our kids, for our brothers and sisters, and our aunts and uncles, and our parents our co-workers and our neighbors for our enemies help us to keep it relational so guide us Holy Spirit we know that you want to give good gifts to your kids 
Help us to prepare our hearts to receive your reign. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Um, I want to encourage you again, stop by the table in the back. If you're a guest, uh, we have a gift for you that we want to give you before you leave today. A lot of product and information at the table for those of you that are regulars. Offering baskets are there. Calendars are there as well. Uh, God bless you as you go today.